think we can start this whole thing off by uh, if you want to give a little bit, you know, a little synopsis of yourself and how you came to find the path and then uh, we can get the ball rolling. Okay, well, um, I'm not good at synopsis, but I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> um, yeah, so my name, well, you know my name, but how I came to the path, I think ever since I was a child, I probably had some sort of spiritual affinity or leanings. And so um, even though I grew up outside of Thailand, I actually was born and raised in the Philippines where my parents were Thai. And uh, my mother was quite interested in the, the, what we call the Dhamma, that's the Buddhist teachings. Um, and so I probably absorbed from just watching her and reading books about it or uh, just doing a bit of chanting and meditation when I was a child. I, I just sort of, I felt, I felt I enjoyed it. I liked it. And, um, and over time that just developed. Um, I guess when I went to school, uh, when I went to college in the States, that was one turning point when I sort of realized that like, yeah, all this so-called success, um, you know, going to a good school or that kind of thing, it's, it's, it's not all it's cut out to be, you know, it doesn't really bring you happiness. Uh, and so that probably, I guess, I can see it as testing my limits, like going to going to a famous university or a prestigious university and saying, oh, okay, that's gonna make you happy. So I know that kind of success doesn't make you happy. Or then living in New York City and working there, it's like sort of like, oh, fun, fun life and that kind of thing. But that doesn't make you happy really deeply. And mm -hmm. so um, by the time I was 25, I, I had returned to Thailand. And uh, when my mother got very sick, with something that was terminal, I realized, okay, my time's quite limited, isn't it? I mean, who knows when, when, when your time's up? So it made you really think about what's really important to do in your life. And the question, I mean, the answer for me when that question came out was, well, the spiritual um, path is the most important thing to pursue in life. And so then, then I became much more like clear about it in my own head with that sense of urgency. And so that's when I first started thinking of becoming a nun because it seemed that that would be the most devoted or full-time way to, to learn and practice the path. And about five years later was when I actually did ordain. And then since then, it's been about 11 years now. Um, it's a, a gradual process of learning mm -hmm. and studying and practicing and just seeing the seeing in little and, you know, you know, maybe subtle ways, but over time, you, you can definitely see that it does, it does lead to greater understanding about things that leads to greater peace and happiness in your life. So yeah, that's the nutshell version. Hmm. Yeah, and that's what we all chase. <laughs> so uh, you came to the US and how long were you here for before you realized the American dream um, isn't quite what it panned out to be? Uh, well, it was my second year of university and it wasn't, and it's not necessarily American dream, but it's just, uh, just the general standard, um, I guess, progression you're told, right? You, if you, if you, if you, you know, go to a good school and then, then you might, you know, get a good job and then, then somehow, I don't know, that's, that's supposed to equal happiness or something. <laughs> yeah. And the first step going to good school is like, well, this, this, this doesn't seem to lead to anything. It just leads you having to like 
do more and like prove yourself more and and so yeah I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily call it the American dream but just sort of maybe the worldly dream just sort mm. of the idea of worldly success yes yeah. of materialism yeah material but also um status you know it's about i mean i personally uh i i didn't i didn't i didn't actually want necessarily to go to go to like a prestigious university but i just felt that if you got in everybody would expect that you would go right i mean that's just something that like i felt i was just sort of just following what it is that society tells you is is a thing to do and then and then I realized that, well, who cares what society says? You know, they don't have all the answers. They often, mm -hmm. they often tell you to do things that you don't seem to think actually leads to, you know, real benefit or happiness. So then that was, I was beginning, beginning to see through that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was two years. It was probably my second, yeah, about probably my sophomore year at college. Hmm. And then was it more of like a, was there something that just dawned upon you one day or is this like a gradual process of like, I got to get out, got to go do something else. Or it was just one day, all of a sudden you're like, I got to, I got to bounce. Um, I think, yeah, you know, what was strange was that my first, my first, I remember like my first semester at sophomore year, I felt really happy, you know, I felt like, oh, okay, like the first year, you're just sort of settling in and adjusting to college life, and it's a bit stressful. But my first year, my first semester of sophomore year, I felt really great. I mean, I thought, I felt like, oh, okay, I figure out who my friends are, and, you know, enjoying the life there. But then for some reason, the second semester, I just started to like, I just got really down, you know, and I think that like, and it was like, kind of weird to me, because it was almost like a, a flip. But I think what what I was um, maybe the beginning of sophomore year, you start to have to decide, oh, what you want to major in, uh, what they call it, concentrate there. But anyway, what, what you want your concentration to be, and what you want to do with your life, what kind of job you want to to pursue. And I think when you have to ask those questions about sort of deciding the direction of your life, it probably brought to the surface what was going on underneath, which was some kind of I probably was already experiencing it my first year that sort of feeling like what what is this for <laughs> you know like I was uh you know it was just like I just felt the general trend um of course I mean it's not the only thing people talk about but a lot of times it's very much like oh what are you going to do for you know whatever for a summer break and you have to like say that oh you know you have some like really cool like job lined up or some some really like sort of oh yeah I'm gonna go and like you know do something very exotic in Costa Rica or you know like some mm -hmm. something cool that you can tell people <laughs> to do and um I felt it was like constantly trying to brandish your accomplishments and I guess deep down I was just kind of like what's the point of that you know and um and also whether it really leads to happiness because you you feel like Oh, okay. All my classmates here are intellectually very intelligent, um, but a lot of them don't seem very happy. A lot of people seem just really pretending to be happy, uh, but really, really stressed out, you know? And I felt the same way. I mean, you're supposed to, if anybody asks you, how are you? You're supposed to say, oh, I'm great. You know, I mean, there's, there's yeah. no other answer that's possible. Right? Yeah. That's like the thing you're supposed to say. But you follow the script that is inside, you know, I feel like crap, you know, it's like, I'm like constantly 
stressed out about trying to achieve something I don't know what for. And I think that was going on inside. And, and I probably, that probably, I mean, looking back, I can say this with hindsight at the time, I was just like bewildered, like what's going on? Why do I feel so like crappy? But I think deep down, it was probably, I, I actually didn't agree with these, these values. I mean, deep down, I actually, I didn't, I didn't really feel like, like that's what, what I really wanted to uh, do in my life is to pursue other people's approval um, mm. from whatever society said is useful to do or you know considered successful to do. And I remember this very clearly actually that when I was asked during my interview to get into the university, you know, the interviewer asked, well, what are your goals in life? And I didn't think about it. I didn't have a planned answer, but what, what popped out of my mouth was like spiritual growth. And to be mildly and to be mildly entertaining to family and friends. I mean, that was that was my that was my goal in life, which I knew as a even as a young you know teenager. Deep down, I knew that that's that's what I cared about. And um, and I think my seeing that none of that was really being met at university. Um, yeah, that probably that probably tipped off. You know, it wasn't like a sudden epiphany, but it was probably this brewing sense of something's not right and I don't really understand what the point of this is and I'm, I'm surprised I never asked myself before in my life you know what is the point mm -hmm. of doing any of the stuff I do you just kind of follow the steps and you, you just uh, you just kind of feel like well this is what everybody does and this is what I'm expected to do and you just don't really think about it too hard but when you're forced to actually start thinking about it then you're like yeah what am I doing this for and then you see that <laughs> good answer and that's not that's not a yeah that's that's not really you know when we're not in we're, we don't have a sense of true meaning in our life that's very actually that's very like you have a you have no direction and when you're when you're lost and you're confused it's not like a kind of misery of like something tragic happened to you but there is a deep down misery of not knowing what you're doing anything for you know that purposelessness Mm -hmm. I think that's that's that actually is the cause of a lot of people's deep down what, what's their cause of their unhappiness in life and and often people just look at the surface level of oh maybe it's not the right job or it's not the right whatever partner it's not the right just whatever variables that are easier to process or or think about but those deep down questions of like oh, what is the meaning of life that's a bit like it's a bit much you know, to, to possibly <laughs> contemplate. And so, but I think looking back, that's probably what was happening. Mm. So the gist of that is, I'm glad you said uh, purpose. It, it, you were lacking purpose. And I think that's what is the biggest ailment of uh, society at this point is, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I just woke up. So I'm a little, uh, <laughs> <more> <laughs> <than that. clears throat> that's all right. So, but people put their, um, like it seems, and I'm guilty of it, obviously, is like placing my sense of purpose on materialistic pursuits or other, you know, egoistic pursuits. And it seems that this path has brought you just the sense of uh, purpose that goes beyond that. Is that true? Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, you realize it's like a bottomless pit, right, with materialistic. Um, pursuits you know I saw this very it struck me because um, you know I spent some time when I was young when I was very young but also just before going to university living in Bangladesh 
which is one of the, you know, very poorly, like, I don't say poorly developed, it's not a very nice term, but you know, it's economically, um, you know, at that time, you know, poverty stricken. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, you would say, and you really did see people were struggling on the, you could see people on the streets, everything, you know, struggling to make a living, struggling to get enough to eat, that kind of thing. And you think, all oh, right, this is human suffering. But then you went to America and, you know, it's a completely affluent society. And yet, oh my God, in New York, like who did not have a psychotherapist? You know, who did not have like their shrink on their Christmas shopping list? You know, it was, it was something that you were like, wow, people here are really, really seriously troubled and um, unhappy. And you understood actually why, you know, if, if you are, if your problems are at a material level and it's like, if you, if you, figured out how a way to have a job or to make a living that you had enough to eat, you had enough medicine, that kind of thing. It's, it's a problem you can kind of solve. You see that you see it sort of the light at the end of the tunnel. But if you have all of that and you're still unhappy, it's like, how do you solve that? You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's no easy solution to that. And then the suffering is completely in your mental world. And that is like an abyss, right? And um, so, seeing through that, that, okay, material development is not the answer to solving human happiness. In fact, it probably digs you into a bigger hole Mm -hmm. because you have all your hopes pinned on that. And uh, you just don't know how to compute when that's not, that's actually not leading to happiness. Mm. And so, okay, so, you know, okay, material success, a reasonable level for human survival and comfort. Okay. That is true. That leads to, that is it requirement for you know basic level of human happiness but beyond that it's not to be found in the material world so not that but also the you know that kind of worldly success that's also endless right because you're constantly it's like what 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 those hollywood actresses say right you know you're only as good as your last hit movie right so so you're only as good as your last so-called worldly success and then you can't have success all the time right Mm -hmm. who can it just doesn't work that way so, so you're, you're just setting yourself up for like ups and downs. And if, if that's your only source of like self-worth, it's, it's, it's really hairy <laughs> and, you know, it's, and it's, it's kind of empty and it's endless. You're constantly having to, to scale the next, you know, the next, whatever it is you set up to be your, 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 your Everest, you know, Everest is not the tallest mountain. Like there's just like the next Everest and the next Everest. And it's just, it's it's fatiguing. I don't know. I don't know how people can keep doing that their whole life, you know? Yeah. And so, so when you see that actually, you know what the problem is, the problem is suffering. (laughs) The problem is the suffering that, that, that actually the root is in our own mind. And that's, that's the only way out is to solve it at the level of your own mind. And, Mm -hmm. and when you realize that actually that is a way that is a, a solution that could solve the whole thing. You know, that's actually, uh, that's, that's, that's the real light at the end of the tunnel. This is actually a way out of human suffering because at the end of the day, no matter what it is, whether it's materialistic values or some sort of sense of status or, or um, societal acceptance, all that, what it's really answering is the human need for, I want to be happy. You know, I want to find some, some way to be happy and to be happy in a sustainable way, not to be happy one day and unhappy the next. And, um, and so, for me, it's like, well, 
if this is this is this is not something like some deep profound spiritual insight i mean everybody knows that everybody wants to be happy but to be able to really to really um achieve true happiness that's that's the only purpose in life right i mean it's it's nothing more complicated than that it's just how do you go about it so you you achieve deeper and deeper levels of happiness and you understand more fully the cause of of suffering that's the only way to to eradicate it right you have to you have to get at the heart of the problem the root of the problem and for me the, the spiritual path is the way to do that that's the only for me it's like the only method for arriving at the ultimate solution mm. so and then it's like whatever you do you know you realize that this is the also like not just for yourself this is the best way to help other people like if if you can figure out how to end the suffering in your own mind to the extent you're able to understand that only to that extent will you be able to help share that with other people so you can help them to to come out of their own suffering otherwise it's it's solving suffering at a, at a very superficial level you know even even the most noble professions and don't get me wrong i'm not saying that it's it's uh it's unvaluable to have doctors or that kind of thing you know of course they do very very important work um but at the end of the day everyone's going to die you know even the best doctor is not going to be able at the you know when people come to the end of end of their what we, what we call their comma you know the most talented brilliant doctor cannot do anything to reverse that and and you know, it's even if you are able to extend someone's life, you can you save their life after some car accident or something. But if the person doesn't use their life in a way that's meaningful, then 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 you might just be like setting themselves up for like another 20 years of suffering, you know? Like, okay, you save them from the physical suffering and then okay, they can live for another 20 years with like, you know, like chronic depression or something. And and would that have really helped them come out of their suffering? only to the extent that you're able to prolong someone's life so they're able to really learn about suffering and really able to to solve it at the root then then that's the only way it can be really meaningful but ultimately people need to be able to 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 solve at the level of the mind and so that's why it's it for me it feels meaningful because i feel i mean a lot of people think oh just what do you do in the monastery? You're just sitting there on your bum meditating, or whatever. How's that helping the world? You know. Uh, but if you if you look at it in the short term view, it's like, okay, so we're not going to be contributing to some COVID vaccine. Okay, that's true. So we're not going to be able to solve problems at the immediate level. But in the longer term, and to be able to to have that that depth of understanding, that depth of wisdom, to be able to to help people start to unravel their own suffering at the, you know, at the at the root cause, that's the way you can actually really help someone else. And it takes a lot of training and it takes a lot of, it just takes a lot of um, person, you know, practice beginning with your own mind to be able to do that, to be able to help other people do that. So I never feel, you know, that, oh, I'm just isolated and like doing my own thing, you know, and it's just some sort of personal like pet project or something. I always feel like 
to the extent, whatever it is I'm learning about my own mind, I'm learning about the human mind, you know? And whatever I learn is something that will be useful to other people. So in that sense, you, you feel a sense of purpose, not only uh, at a personal level, but also at the level of what, what I can contribute to other people or the benefit of other people. So then it's something that it's really fulfilling no, no matter what you're doing, you know, and really monastery life. I mean, a lot of the things are like, oh, sweeping the grounds of the monastery. It's not like earth shattering, but to the extent that, you know, I'm able to make the monastery a pleasant place for people who come and their minds might be open to learning a bit more about some deeper truth. To that extent, I'm contributing to their, their deeper welfare, you know, and so you can always, you can always kind of like couch it in that way. And so, and so, so there's nothing that is completely mundane. There's always some deeper purpose to it. And when you, when you have a deeper purpose to your life, that is, that is the wellspring of, of happiness. And it's, I mean, it's, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean you don't have your ups and downs on a day-to-day -day basis, but to be able to, at some level, be able to reconnect to that deeper purpose, that's very nourishing. That, that's really, it's like tapping into like pure spring water. You know, you, it's something that you, you will always feel refreshed by it, cleansed by it, rejuvenated by it when you, when you re reconnect back to your, your deeper purpose in life. And so to be able to live from that place, it's, it's such a blessing. It's really such a blessing. So yeah, to the, to the degree that anyone can live from that place, doesn't, I don't mean you have to be a monastic, but to, to the degree that you, you, can, you can easily, you have a clear sense or um, awareness of what is your deeper purpose in life. One, you have that awareness, you've been able to identify it and it's clear in your mind. And to the extent you're able to reconnect and live from that place, that is a large determinant of your of your well-being and happiness in this life. Oh, that was beautiful. I think, um, yeah, you hit the nail on the head right there. I uh, so summing that up, it seems as though society has misplaced our values and um, attaining happiness, and we're, we're constantly on this hamster wheel of uh, trying to find it and through the mind and through the you know the outside world and it's just like you said we're filling it's just like uh we're, we're creating voids and then we're trying to fill it and we're just digging the hole deeper and deeper more and more we try to fill it with a with a boat or a person or a dirt bike whatever you want like whatever you think will make you happy if you right. buy it from someplace or somewhere but what you're saying right. is we figure out as every as, as a human species that happiness isn't really attained from that it's through the, the the dharma or you know other spiritual or whatever your purpose is in life um and then that'll essentially uh make us happier beings yeah i mean i think i think um that is that is our basic question in life right and just finding better answers, like higher quality answers mm -hmm. to that question of how, how can I be happy? Um, that will help you to really be happy and to be happy in a more, more like profound way, you know, not, not just people often confuse happiness with pleasure, you know, uh, 
but it goes a lot deeper than that. Pleasure is very ephemeral. And, and to be able to be happy when you're with the unpleasant, that's the true mark of, aha, you've got something deeper there. Because life is going to be a mixture. It's like even the most enlightened beings have a mixture of pleasant and unpleasant experiences. You know, it's just, it's just part and parcel of living in this, this world. It's just, that's just, that's just part of the makeup, the fabric of it. So being able to, to be happy regardless of whether things are, circumstances are so-called pleasant or unpleasant. Because yeah, we have our settings, everybody has our settings, what we consider pleasant or unpleasant. That's not a problem. It's not a, it's not a problem to, some people like the cold weather, you know, <laughs> some people, some people don't. <laughs> and so that's just a setting. There's nothing, there's nothing like, you know, intrinsically wrong about that. But when, when you're able to be with the circumstance that your setting says is unpleasant, um, and, and not have your mental happiness affected by that. That's the true mark of whether you've really answered the question of how to be happy. Mm. So, yeah. So being able to do that. Mm. So men, we're talking about purpose here. What is everybody's purpose? Cause I believe my, in my, in my personal belief, uh, belief is that, all of our purpose is to help each other, essentially be selfless beings, compassionate beings, uh, you know, just kind of be a good person. Uh, and then from that, we all have our individual purposes throughout using our egos and through our individuality. Um, what would, would you say purpose is, your definition of purpose is along those lines? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I would always tie back question of purpose to the question of happiness. So, you know, our purpose in life is to figure out how to be happy, truly happy, and to help other people to be happy. So the, the mode in which you do that, you know, like that can, everyone has their talents, you know, everyone, you could be, you could be an artist, you could be a writer, you could be whatever way of expressing that may be different. But I think ultimately, if you boil it down to something, you know, bullet point, that would be about how to be able to be truly happy and help other people be truly happy. I think that's that's really all there is to it. And um, what differs is just how deep people go with that, you know, how how deep people are able to to access true happiness and help other people to access that. That's there'll be gradations of that. But the way of expression, you know, that's that's as variable as people's dispositions. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, everyone, even even among monastics, there's differences in temperament and differences in people's uh, inclinations and what they're talented at, what they're skilled at. So, so there will be, you know, different ways of expressing that. And, and that's all right, you know, there's, there's no like cookie cutter, you know, this is like the only, the only model, but, but behind that, there is a unity of purpose. So, so, you know, I would, I, I would say like, you know, whether it's through Buddhism or, you know, through another religion, if, if the ultimate question is always, you know, what is it that causes humans to suffer? And how do we actually, you know, 
alleviate that at, at, at the truest level, then that's, that's also answering the same thing. But the question of being a, you know, a compassionate person, that's, that's not something you can just do. You know, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not like some kind of, some kind of superficial being a nice person. It's, it's not that. It's something, it's something far deeper. And it, it comes from a real, a real wisdom that truly understands the human mind. And you can't fake it. And it doesn't always look nicey-nice. You know, like compassion doesn't always, it doesn't always, it doesn't always wear the face of like nicey-nice, as I would call it, you know. It's like in, if you see like, oh, I mean, even the iconography of like bodhisattvas, the compassionate beings, there are some wrathful ones. There's so, you know, it's like, oh, that looks kind of scary. Uh, is that compassion? But um, the compassion isn't about what it is you think a compassionate person looks like. It's about what it is the other person needs, the other being needs at that moment. What is the best way to help the other being? That is the most compassionate thing to do. And that doesn't come easy. That comes from going back to understanding your own mind. You can't, you can't really be compassionate if you don't actually understand the workings of suffering. So the only way you can really get that is through your own understanding of your own suffering and your own acceptance of your human condition. You know, there, oftentimes compassion becomes this a little bit like, oh, poor you, <laughs> you know, a little bit. There's a bit of, you know, even in the nicest possible way, I am going to save you, you know. There is a superiority there. Uh, but real compassion is about that. It's, it's, I know you. That's me. I understand you because that's me. I have been through that. I am going through that. You, you actually have so fully and clearly understood the human condition from your own experience. And so that's the whole gamut, you know, like, you know, there's one quote I really like. Um, it's from a, a Tibetan teacher who has now passed away and, you know, he's, he's got his, his fans and his detractors. But anyway, he said some really cool things. So Chogyam Chungpa Rinpoche, I've never, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he has, he has like a, he started a Buddhist university in, in Boulder, Colorado. Um, so some Americans might know him. But one thing I, I really um, appreciated was his line, his line that, you know, I don't know if I'm quoting it exactly, but roughly, like in the spiritual practice, we have to be willing to be completely ordinary people. You know, like sometimes you think, oh, well, I'm a spiritual practitioner and oh, how deep and, you know, holy am I, and especially if you become a monastic, then it's like, it's like, oh, you're venerable, right? You know, sometimes I tell people, hey, that's just, that, that is just like a conventional form of advice. Mm -hmm. I'm not expecting you to consider me venerable. And I'm not saying that I feel venerable all the time. And sometimes if you look at my thoughts, they're not very venerable, you know? But, but the thing is to not, to not make that a problem, you know, like, 
like that's something that it, it actually takes a little while because when first when you become a monastic you're you're like oh my god now I'm like venerable I have exo venerable <laughs> oh venerable me um but then to realize you know the spiritual path is about seeing things as they really are and not having opinions about it not making up opinions about it just 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 being able to see clearly things as they really are and so that includes the whole gamut of human um, emotions, right? I mean, until you're fully enlightened, you're going to have what, when Buddhist terminology, it's called, um, it's not so, it sounds so like, it doesn't sound very, it's not a very good translation, but in English, the, the common translation is like defilement. Uh, but it's really sort of the root afflictions in your mind, which is greed, hatred, or aversion. It's another translation and delusion or ignorance. So as long as you have these three roots somewhere lurking in your mind, which if you're not enlightened, you will, you know, they're going to manifest in certain thoughts and, you know, as best you can to refrain from having that leak out into speech or actions, hooray, but, you know, they're still lurking around there in your, in your thought world. And, um, and to realize, you know, like, that's okay. You know, that's like a, so profound, but, you know, it's okay is something really hard to live because you feel like, oh, I shouldn't have these thoughts. You know, I'm venerable. I'm not supposed to be angry. I'm not supposed to be irritated. I'm, I'm venerable. But you know what? Yeah, if you have those three roots in there, they're, gonna, they're going to manifest, you know, um, somehow, sometime. And the only way you can really be compassionate to other people is to have a compassionate attitude to, to your own mind and what, what, what appears in your own mind from time to time. And that's, that's something that takes, it takes a lot of, um, you know, it takes a lot of, I guess, being able to, to do away slowly with a lot of those expectations you have, um, you know, or your ideas or your concepts and that, that terrible word should, you know, what, what, what it should be like, what I should be like, what other people should be like, you know, you have to like strike that word from the record, like no should. <laughs> oh no, you shouldn't say should, <laughs> should. Oh no, I'm trapped in the world of shoulds. But, um, but the thing is, yeah, to be willing to be completely ordinary. I, I am like irritated. I'm really annoyed. And it's like a really like a whatever petty matter or something. But you know what, to be honest, it's ticking me off. And to be able to like see like, oh, okay. So how does that actually lead to actions that cause me more suffering, you know? Rather than judging the whole process, the key question is again, it's like so basic. And yet it, it's always the theme to return to. It's like, well, how is this, how is this amplifying or reducing my suffering? How am I causing myself more suffering? It doesn't become a moralistic question of should or should not, but is it painful? Does it lead to suffering or not? So it's like, if you have angry thoughts, is it, oh, bad, I shouldn't. Or is it like, hey, does this make me happier or less happy? <laughs> you know, does it make me happier or not? And if it doesn't make you happier, then it's like, oh, wrong direction, wrong direction. And, um, and so, but you have to be willing to experience it. And that's something that um, what I realized is that we, we, or I, I, you know, I don't know everybody, but I had this idea that possibly, you know, possibly like going to monastic life might be, might be motivated by a desire to escape. 
you know, sort of escape the real world or whatever we call the real world. But, uh, but the more I have lived monastic life, I realize, you, you know what? <laughs> Actually, the so-called real world is like the biggest escape. It's escape not from people think, oh, okay, so you don't you don't have to deal much with like you know, like whatever's going on in the world. Like, I I know different monastics differ, but I, I generally try to reduce my to really not not consume much about the news. Like maybe if something really important happens, you know, the abbot will tell us or something. And for me, that's enough. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't browse news websites or read or anything. And and the thing is, you know, um, people think, oh, that's like, oh, you're just you're just sort of like keeping yourself in the little like bubble of ignorance. But actually, that stuff, you know, is like constantly like rewind, reloop, replay. I, I studied history in college and it's like the same problems that happened in 1871 or, you know, 5 BC or whatever is like totally whatever's happening now. You just change the places and the names and that's all. But it's it's actually, you know, the same stuff. So so who cares? You don't know the latest the latest version of it. But um, but the thing is knowing about that stuff is not is not making you more attuned to the real world it actually it makes you constantly live in the world of the external and not be in touch with what's going on in your own mind and a lot of those other things you know like i remember yeah when i was my phase of living in new york city that was that that would be the time when i would say yeah i was testing the limits of of, of how much happiness you could get from uh just living from the 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 point of view of you know not sensory experience is kind of a like abstract term but it's it's basically what it is people try to get happiness from entertainment or from you know stimulating conversations with people or whatever it is even even intellectual consumption you know whether it's like cool ideas or whatever um that's still just yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Sorry to say, but but if it's spiritual podcast, then I, I guess that's different. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we could be talking about a lot worse things. Huh? We could be talking about yeah. a lot worse things right now. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But the thing is, it's it's how you're using it, right? If you're just yeah. consuming even spiritual stuff, if you're just consuming it as like another cool idea or some stimulating whatever it is that's just like entertaining or not entertaining at the level of haha, but it's it's just feeding your like curiosity about something. But it's if it's not actually hitting to the heart of of um, your own mind and your own experience of suffering, it's it's still just another form of consumption, and that doesn't actually, you know, that's a form of escape. That's that's actually something that that people use so they don't have to feel what it is that is distressing to them. So the thing is, when you when you actually spend a lot of time in in silence or solitude, you don't have you don't even have to call it meditation, but just can be you know I, I just don't know <laughs> these days whether whether people have any any actual space for silence in their lives. I mean, I became a nun before the advent of smartphones or tablets or like you know, Facebook, you know, the Facebook I knew was 
was when we were in college. That's where it started. You know, it was like the Facebook was the thing they, they handed out to you where they had pictures of everybody in, in your class, the freshman Facebook. And, you know, what you do is you just, you know, procrastinate from doing your papers, whatever, but like pouring through this thing in the spaces. But, but that's all it was. It's not this like constant like update of, oh, and I went here and I ate that and whatever it is people use Facebook. For. I don't know. I don't have an account. <laughs> you know, that was before my, yeah, I don't, I actually, I don't even know what, how Facebook, what it is really. Um, and, um, and the thing is when you have all that going on and constantly checking your phone, constantly being connected, even if you're not speaking, it's totally a, there's no, there's no space for silence and solitude, I would say, and I don't know, but from what, from what I can intuit or, you know, infer from, from what I see, you know, like once a year, I go visit my family and I just see how people live, you know, like how people who don't live in a monastery live. And it's just like, wow, they are just never away from those phones, only when they're charging or something. And uh, if you don't have any space, for some solitude, some silence. How, how can you ever get to know what's in your mind? And sometimes it can be a form of distraction or, or escape. A lot of times, this compulsive need to check your phone for whatever it is you have to check it for. It's because you don't know how to be still. It's like, it's like some compulsive I mean, that's the real pandemic. COVID's not the pandemic. The pandemic is the inability to live without constant stimulation from the outside. And, um, you know, because sometimes it's a bit off-putting when you actually uh, let yourself be silent. You don't check your phone. You don't talk to anybody. You actually hear what's going on in your own mind. And sometimes that is quite disturbing. It's like, mm. whoa, mm. that's like, that's like, that's like a big bag of weird, you know, that's, you know, that's like, <laughs> that's what I normally think about. Mm -hmm. And you can't stop thoughts either. Most people, right. Unless they, they've had any kind of experience in meditation, as soon as they're silent, it's just like, whoa, it's like, I don't know, some huge marketplace in there. And, uh, and it's, and it's disturbing. And especially if you have any kind of afflictive emotions, if you have some sort of anger or, or anxiety or, you know, jealousy or any of those things that is disturbing. It it's like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to actually feel that. <laughs> I would rather like distract myself through something external. I would I would I would rather distract myself. Whether if it's not your phone, it's listening to some nice music. It's like going out to talk to somebody, watching a movie, something, something, so you don't have to feel that. Or if it's just that void you were talking about when you actually, you know, I remember this. I remember that when I was, um, yeah, I remember when I was living in New York, I would, I would subscribe to like two magazines and they would arrive on Wednesday. One was the New Yorker and one was like Time Out magazine, which was like telling you all the fun things you can do to distract yourself even more in the city, right? And there were some times when I would be like waiting for Wednesday to go check my mailbox and find those magazines there. And um, so that I could fill the void with something. I could, I could, I could somehow like, I had like, verbiage to read you know something new to read so that I could um I don't know it's like that weird void that's there you have to fill it with something because otherwise it's 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 just kind of unnerving in this not not in like a, a really like 
oh, I'm like, you know, being faced with a serial killer kind of scary. But there's something unnerving in the background uh, where it's like, oh, I don't want to hear that buzz, that, that sense of like, I don't know what it is, but there is this weird buzz of, of low level anxiety of the human experience when you don't have a purpose in life, you know, that you want to fill with something. And so people generally escape. That is, that is our modus operandi, you know, anything that is uncomfortable, it's like, get me out of here. That is, that is kind of like a default setting for, for most people. And until you start training your mind, that's immediately what you want to do. You want to run, you want to hide, you want to like not feel anything that's disturbing. And so when you actually have no escapes, <laughs> so we can't watch movies here, we, you know, we like to use the internet, I have to ask for permission, you know, and so like you can't just be sitting here lolling around browsing forever and um, any resources are limited, you know, so it's not like you could even if you had the permission and um, you, you don't have, we have very um, limited, even talking to other nuns here, it's actually, we don't talk that much, like outside of you know, basic work things or whatever, there's a lot more of encouragement to be in solitude. It's not that we don't talk at all, you know, we do have some friendly conversations, but compared to the average person not living in a monastery, what they do in their daily life, like the constant communication that goes on 24 seven, it, it's much less here. So, so you have this um, space to really, to look at your own mind and to not be able to escape it. There's no escape, right? Because you go back to your dwelling and you're there by yourself for like, let's say, let's say you get go back by like 1 p.m., right? And you don't you don't come back for like uh, the group communal stuff until like 6.30 in the next morning, right? That's a lot of hours of just being by your little own self. Mm. And you cannot help but hear what goes on in your mind. I mean, it's there is no mute button for your own mind unless you're able to access deep meditation at a snap there is no mute button you can just press so you gotta face it man and um that is actually the least i would say the least escapist mode of living where you really have to face up to the truth of what goes on in your mind and that's where we live our whole world even if you think you live in an external place it's not it's how you filter it through your mind it's how you're experiencing the world through your own mind, your own lenses. And until you get to know that, you know, it's like, no matter where you are, I think that's the, that's the title of, I remember it was, it was like my roommate's book. I didn't actually read the book. It was on the bookshelf. Uh, it was like, wherever you go, there you are. Um, yeah. Some popular, popular book, um, I guess in Dhamma circles or something, but yeah. And I was like, I didn't read the book, but that title was enough. And I'm like, that's right. Because I've lived in a lot of places, you know, about wherever you go, I'm like, hey, this is familiar. This is familiar. My familiar ways of dealing with situations, dealing with life, reacting to people, reacting to things. It's like this sounds, feels, looks, smells very familiar. So you can change the externals all you like, but you take your lenses with you how you experience Italy, how you experience, you know, Northern Thailand, how you experience Puerto Rico, how do you experience whatever it is. It's almost like, like in the Zoom thing, I see you can like, you can choose your virtual background. 
you can change the virtual background on the click, you know, you know, and then you could be at the beach, you could be at this grassy thing, you could be at this weird, like, you know, blue room, but the you still looks the same. You know, you bring your own mind to wherever you go and you experience it through that. So unless you train yourself in skillful, ha skillful habits, you could be the most pleasant, you know, from a like objective, I don't know, you could be, you could be at some sort of like, island paradise or something and then you'd be thinking like gosh it's really hot here and like i'm getting tired of eating coconuts or whatever you know what i mean you know no matter where you are you can if you have a negative you know lens you have you're you're habituated to experiencing life that may then no matter no matter where you are that's what you'll see and that's what you'll experience or you could be in like total dump and if you're like you know really sort of able to see the beauty in it um then your experience will be happy so so being able to get to know that it takes a it takes a certain level of humility you know and that humility is not something that you can turn on it comes from like it comes from like seeing you know over time that like oh yeah okay this is what this is what's happening in my mind and some of it ain't pretty and some of it i am i'm not proud of but i really need to own up to it that this is what's happening and that becomes easier the more you think this is not what's happening in my mind. This is not me. This is not my thoughts. But this is just, this is just, you know, oh, it's not so abstract. It's not so abstract that sometimes you're like, it's like some platitude. But to the extent that you you really do see that it's it's um it's due to certain causes, certain, certain whatever, whatever, whatever thought you might have. It's there because of some some habit pattern that is built up over time, you know, or a certain set of circumstances has triggered it. And this habit pattern has built up. So this is this is the kind of response that will come out. And this is not some personal failing, you know, it's not like a, uh, anything you actually have any personal control over it. This is a process that's happening. It's a causal process that's happening. And, um, you know, your job is just to like observe it <laughs> and your job is just to best you can, you know, um, just to the end. It's not, it's not that you actually best you can. It's not that you can try to do to the, to the degree you have the wisdom to be able to redirect your mind when it's going down the wrong path, then it will happen, you know, and to the degree you don't have the wisdom, you don't have that, that sharpness of mindfulness. You don't have the clarity at that moment. You can't. And it's, it's got nothing to do with you. You know, it's, 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 it's like the wrong paradigm. If you're setting this up on this, like, am I succeeding or am I failing? That's like the wrong paradigm. Am I a good person or a bad? Yeah, that was one thing I, I, I took note of when you used the phrase good person. It's like, th that's also kind of the wrong paradigm. You know, it's like, is I mean, ultimately you can say yes, in a sense, enlightened beings are so-called good people, but they're not, they're not, they're not good. They're just, uh, they're just awake. You know they've gone beyond good and bad mm -hmm. and so so the idea is not to strive to be a good person the idea is to be to strive to be like an awake person someone who who knows what's going on dude they, they know and you know and when you know and you know what leads to suffering what doesn't lead to suffering mm. then the causes of suffering no longer arise and so that's something that it's uh it's something that takes a lot of going against your natural habits because our natural habit is to 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 just block out the parts that bother us 
you know, to live in denial. That is, that is probably a very popular across the board, across cultures, you know, way of dealing with life. And um, as long as you do that, you're never going to see the truth. So, but it's comfortable, you know, it can be comfortable until it becomes uncomfortable. You know, it's comfortable in the short term, but then it leads to more suffering. So actually it becomes uncomfortable. That's okay because it's familiar. We're willing, we're willing to be uncomfortable if it's at least familiar, right? Mm. It's a devil you know. Mm. And, uh, and it takes a lot of courage to be like, okay, I'm going to try something outside from the devil I know. You know, it takes, it takes, it's unnerving. It's a little bit, it's like, it's like, you're going to the deep end of the kiddie pool for the first time and you're not quite sure if you're going to drown and you're not quite sure if you're ready and you're not quite, you don't even know it's actually going to be feel that good. So you'd rather <laughs> stay in the shells, even though, you know, it's like kind of boring and you've been there for your whole life, but, but it's what you know. And believe me, so much comfort is derived from what, what you know, what you're familiar with. So, so we're very willing to suffer if, 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 if we're at least familiar with it, right? We're mm -hmm. at some level, we want to be happy, but if it involves something that's like beyond our comfort zone, we're a little bit hesitant. You know, it's just, it's just too difficult to do something that you're not familiar with. So even if you're in misery and if you're comfortable with it, you're familiar with it, then you might choose that. Mm. And often that's, what we do, we just keep choosing that. Do you think so, the first step, first of all, I said, say that was, uh, that was beautiful. That was a great passage of wisdom that you just uh, bestowed upon everybody. <laughs> uh, so would you say the first step, it, it say, let's say somebody doesn't know anything of Buddha, the Dhamma, anything. They just, uh, we'll just say like a regular uh, Western person. A lot of people don't know anything of the Dhamma or anything about uh, you know, Siddhartha Gautama, they don't know any, they, they would be like, who, who is that? <laughs> Let's yeah. say someone's listening to this for the first time and they just heard you uh, say that beautiful thing about, um, you know, where suffering pretty much arises from. Is the first step, does it lie in self-inquiry in meditation and kind of just being able to step back from our escape and anything that will bring us pleasure and kind of just like diving into who and what we are uh just through silence and disconnection in a way yeah well i think the first step is just to recognize your own suffering becoming aware yeah like so how do you become like aware? recognizing that's right that's right i mean a, a lot of all that escapism is masking the suffering that you actually are already feeling you know, it's just being covered over by the cosmetics of some sort of sensory pleasure. But being willing to be like, okay, can I actually really experience, you know, what I'm feeling right now without the overlay? So you, it's very hard to do, you don't, you don't actually stop the overlay. So if you're, you can, you, sometimes you already, you already kind of know, right? You know, like I used to remember, like I sometimes like turn on the TV or watch a movie because there was something gnawing at me, you know, I was, something was bothering me. Yeah. And, and I, I just wanted to like, somehow like distract myself from it. At some level, you know, so you already know. But the problem is we go immediately to the cover up stage and then, and then, then we get lost in that. And then we're like, okay, we, we've lost touch with actually what instigated it. 
But if you are like, you know what? See what happens if I refrain from that urge to like distract myself. And I don't do that distracting thing. And I just do like feel it, just feel whatever that it is. And maybe you can only do it for like, you know, 10 seconds or 20 seconds or whatever. But even feeling it for even like five seconds, you know, five is like, it's long. You think, oh, five seconds, but but I, I once saw this teacher do this and he was trying to, you know, <laughs> it's like, now you have to keep like, I don't know, scaling things back before it's like mini meditation is like, you know, 10 minutes. And now it's like, okay, micro meditation people, can you just do micro meditation? Just like counting one, two, three, four, five. And I, when he did that, I was like, wow, that felt like a long time. <laughs> you know, like, actually, we don't do that. It's like a millisecond of discomfort. And we're like, okay. And we do, we do our thing that covers over it. But if you just, okay, just as an experiment, don't do that thing, even for like five seconds and feel it, whatever it is you're feeling, feel it in your body, find, find the feeling in your body. You know, that's something that you can't think about. If you, if you, if you go to the physical feeling, then you, you sort of like short circuit that whole like thinking route, which is going to sometimes just spin off a whole storyline about it. So just feel it. Right. And if you're like, oh, this feels like uncomfortable, then you're, you're getting a direct taste of human suffering. Like you're willing to actually taste it, feel it. You're willing to own up to it. You're willing to like experience, you know, the, the actual reality of suffering. Oftentimes people say, oh yeah, I'm suffering, but do they actually know what it feels like? They have a rough idea, but we're so afraid to feel it. We're, we're sort of conditioned to be, we want to like pretend it doesn't exist. So as long as we don't feel it, it's like, it's not there. But yeah, it's like the big elephant, it's there. It's what would you use another word for suffering? Like uh, a lot of people use in, like English translation from uh, dukkha to suffering, I feel like isn't one-to-one. Is there any other term? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's just the tragedy of translation. <laughs> Everyone should learn Pali. <laughs> go learn Pali. the way it was spoken at the time of the buddha but yeah you know that's not possible so we we have to just we have to just make do with these like very um yeah you're right they're not one-to-one -one mapping and the, the concept of dukkha is much more much more subtle than that it's not like out and out ow ow i'm suffering or ow ow you know or like oh i'm like you know like just like crying and crying suffering it's it's like any yeah, you know, one one translation I kind of like is sort of like ill at ease, or you know, you know, the word disease. If you put a hyphen there, it's dis-ease. Oh yeah. There's just this sense <laughs> of not not being at ease with a situation or something. It's just yeah, it's just, and it can be very subtle. You know, it can be very like you know, you know, it's not that you feel terrible, but there's just something that's not quite right in the universe. You know, it's just something that's always just not quite right in the universe. And, and that is, that is, yeah, that, that can be a, one way of expressing it. But dukkha is like, it can be very sophisticated. It's not sophisticated, but it's just more complicated than that. I mean, just sometimes the slant on it is just, you know, to translate as being like subject to change. Dukkha means subject to change. So it's that like instability of like nothing, nothing is gonna stay the way it is. There's, there's just this, like this sense of like constant insecurity with living. You know, there's 
it's like you're walking on thin ice. Like right now it's solid, it's holding your weight, but any moment, you know, you can step on a thinner patch and you're, whoops, you're like, you know, you've fallen through. And so that's anything with our life. When we think we've made it, it's like only like, it's only like we've made it, but with this lingering like fear of like, how long is it gonna last? This pleasant feeling, how long is it gonna last me? You know, and then when's, when's the next big, you know, whatever it is problem gonna happen. And, and so that, that constant insecurity is another way to translate dukkha. And then, then that explains this, like I was talking about that buzz of anxiety that exists in your mind. That's because at some level we know, <laughs> we know that nothing's gonna last baby. And because we know that it bothers us, right? You know, it's like, it's kind of like, oh no, your whole life, you're kind of, there's a bit of, oh no, behind it all behind the smiles, behind the congratulations, behind this and that, there's always this like, oh no, when is the other shoe gonna drop? And uh, yeah, that's like not a good way to live, man. But if you, but if you actually know that, you know, like at some level, you're not denying that and you've made your peace with that, then, then you don't have that buzz anymore. And that's what enlightened people do. They, they don't have that buzz anymore. And it's like, course things change like duh you know it's like you know it doesn't ruffle them doesn't fluster them it's just natural and so it's um that's something that is uh that's the key right that's the key is 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 seeing that clearly at a deep level and then then you're able to just live without that hope and fear live without all of that mm. and it's very light very light and freeing so yeah. we can do that we can be happy yeah well at least i don't know if happiness is really is it more so of like a feeling of like liberation yeah that was like that's one of my favorite words i remember when i was a kid you know i, I would say it in thai but but the word was like isarat sevi it's like freedom i don't know i don't know why but as a kid i was like running around the house like you know sort of like saying that you know in this like sing-song voice but I think that was like an expression of some deeper yearning for freedom, you know? Mm. We, can, we, can, we can call it that too. Maybe it's not the desire to be happy, but the desire to be free, like really free. It's free from what? Like it's free from dukkha. But, but, but there is that liberating sense, you know? When you're happy, there's nothing burdening you. There's a sense of freedom. There's nothing like pinning you down or tying you up. There's just a sense of like, I guess that's a that's a really beautiful word, freedom. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, yeah, but it's like a real freedom, you know. It's not a freedom to do whatever you want. Home of the brave, land of the free. I mean, it's not. It's not. Yeah, like free to like take whatever land you want and like take all the resources and you know, do what you want when you want it. It's to be free from having those wants, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> like then you're really free yeah and uh that's something that is like really sublime it's not something that can be easily attained but once Mm. you've got that that's true freedom and even the word doesn't sound beautiful free like if you just say the word free don't you feel a bit more free yeah just like freedom it has a resonance to it even in english it's it's something that uh deep down the human mind yearns for that we yearn for that release that freedom and the ironic thing is you're always free 
we just seem to lose track of it in a way. It's like something that's we were born with, but throughout our conditioning and how our body develops, I guess we just get chained down through our through our own head, which is the crazy thing. It's our own. It's our own doing, or it's that's also true. the outside world's doing. But it's like it, ultimately, it's it's it comes from us and it comes from others, and it, we are we chain ourselves into this small state of awareness and who we think we are but if we just you know it lies in self-inquiry we can see what we really are and then when you see what you really are kind of will give you that sense or guide you in the direction of purpose yeah yeah it's 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 being boxed in by concepts you know that's Mm -hmm. what that's what starts to settle in i saw this very clearly with um just observing my niece and nephew, you know, uh, when they were younger, because I don't see them very often, I can see it more clearly. If you see them every day, it's kind of hard to keep track of it because I only see them, you know, once every 12 months or 16 months or something. It's like, you know, when they're really young, when they're just like not even one or whatever, their eyes are so clear. They're so bright. They're like stars. Mm. You know, and, it's just a kid, right? It's not like they've done some major spiritual practice in this life. No, that's just a natural state of being. But as, as they get older, you know, two years old, three years old, it's starting, when I go back and I'm like, oh, it's like clouding over a bit. And then like the nephew is older. So you can see in him, it's, it's I mean, it's still there. Children still have this sort of like spontaneous, you know, un, unpretentious air about them. But, but that brightness, that sparkle, it's, it's dimmed a bit. And it was like, oh, I see it more in the younger one, the niece. But it, even now, as she gets older, it starts to get dimmer and it's it clouded over. Mm. And so that natural state of the mind, that pure and radiant natural state of the mind, it gets- Like innocence? Uh, innocence is like, it's a bit, it's a bit too, uh, I don't know. It's just not a, it's not an adequate word. It's the, it's the radiance of the mind, the natural mm-hmm. radiance of the mind that's, um, it gets clouded over by like concepts and you know and thinking about things and and then also old habitual patterns that stem from greed hatred and delusion those habitual patterns start kicking in and they start being reinforced by acting out on them so you know you can see people start when they start developing their personalities it's like yeah some people they already have an inclination it's nothing that happened in this life you know but like some 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 kids are just they're just more like cheerful and some kids are more withdrawn or, you know, they already have something that's beginning to like manifest and that's the old habitual patterns. And that's what's covering over that natural brilliance, that natural radiance. And so then we, then, then that's all you start to know because that, that, that happens so much more than being able to connect back to that, that purity that's actually within us all the time. It's still there. We just can't connect to it. We can't touch into it. And so so we forget it, you know, and we don't we don't have an awareness that it's there because it's not real to us anymore. We don't experience it anymore. So so then then you know, yeah, then you get boxed in by all that and you live from that space and you don't connect back to that 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 vastness and purity of your mind, that the radiance. It's just only in glimpses, you know, sometimes in glimpses, but um for the most part, not really. And you're living, you're living from a very like uh, like a very conceptual mind, a lot of thoughts about things and and opinions about them and reactions based on that. And then it's it's a it's kind of a a smaller smaller space to live from, you know. And it, uh, it's 
yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's stressful. It's, it doesn't have that freedom, that sense of freedom that comes from that vast and open mind. So mm. yeah, unfortunately, <clears throat> lose touch with it, but you're right, it's always there. Or uh, we're, it's, it's innate. And, and so if we, and that's, that's something that, um, it can help to remind yourself of that at a conceptual level. That's why view is important in the Buddhist path, right view. And um, yeah, so having that, that deep confidence, despite, you know, the days, you know, the days will have ups and downs, but the confidence that really though, the, the natural state of the mind is purity. It's not something we have to like create, build up, invent, or, you know, keep, you know, working at it isn't working at building it up. Working at it means working at going back to it, connecting back to it. What's already there? It's like a different paradigm. You think of it that way, right? And if it's um, if it's already there, it's not. It doesn't seem so insurmountable. It's like it's like doable. <laughs> it's like feasible, right? If it's already there, you just have to like un go uncover it, dig. Digging mm. is different from like oh, I have to like somehow like. It's like I used to be a writer, right? It's like when you're. You're just staring at a blank page. It's like, where is it going to come from? Where are these words going to come from? The tyranny of the blank page. But this isn't like that. You know, it's already there. It's just about deleting. Easier to delete, right, than to like create words out of nowhere and put something on the page. To just press the delete button is much easier. <laughs> so this is the same. We just, we just have to keep deleting all the like stuff we've covered over, you know, this, this innate purity. So we just have to it's a long slog man I mean, it's like delete one thing at one day, oh, and somehow it like pops up again you know delete delete but if you keep deleting and you delete the root cause then the words don't pop up anymore and then okay it's done and so then then it's um it's a returning and that's uh isn't that a nice feeling freedom is something you're you're you're, you're coming back to and mm. and you see that you see that when kids are very young they have a natural freedom about them they're not burdened Right. That's why it's so refreshing to be around young children. It's not just because they're like cute, but it's because there's an air of like of freedom about them. And um, and we all still have that. So connecting back to your so-called inner child or something is, is maybe it's connecting back to that. It's con connecting back to your inner freedom. Mm. And when you have that sense of inner that, oh, the inner freedom is always in there. Doesn't it, it gives you it just even that idea it somehow it lightens up whatever difficulty you're going through. It makes it less real. You know, we make it so real where we're experiencing some difficulty. But actually we forget that that's, that's a temporary situation. And uh, the thing that is actually constant is that inner freedom. So yeah, being able to access this at, at a level that you, you truly experience that, that's really, that's awakening. So that's, doesn't that sound great? I mean, that, if you, yeah. if you, if you bill it as freedom, that's, that's something that naturally we all, we all, we all long for that. We all yearn for that. So yeah, kind of yeah, gives uh, people a sense of like hope or it gives me a sense of hope, at least, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like to know that not all is lost. There is, there is some kind of, um, I don't know if you want to say order. It's not really order. Yeah. There's some kind of like, meaning i guess to what our sufferings or there's some kind of like reason for our sufferings and yeah it's almost like for us to attain liberation in a way 
Oh, yeah, because nothing bites more than meaningless suffering, right? <laughs> like, if you're going to suffer, at least, geez, at least have it be meaningful. And that's something that really tripped me up when I was, like, really feeling a lot of suffering in that second year of college. It was like, but, but, like, what's the meaning? I mean, at least make it be for something, you know? <laughs> like, otherwise, it's, like, completely, like, suffering for free, and you get absolutely nothing back for it, you know? <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, that's right. Suffering is a suffering that leads to the end of suffering. So you have to go through it because that's the only way you can understand it. You know, you can't understand something abstract. You have to really experience it. So it's worth it. It is worth it. And if you, and you think about it that way, every time you do meet difficulty and you are experiencing like more than just the vague suffering, but some like really maybe in your face suffering, it's useful to remind yourself that, but this is, this is worth it because I'm going to learn so much from it you don't really learn so much when your life is going smoothly and everything is easy peasy. You're just coasting. But the part, if you look back in your life, really, I mean, at the time, you know, it's like no fun at all. But if you look back, it's those periods when you're going through some great difficulty, some, you know, like some real suffering in your life. And you, and you think about what happened to you after that. I mean, it can go, it can go, I guess it can go some ways where you don't learn anything from it and you sort of repeat the same patterns. But in most cases, I think people do learn from their suffering and you feel you grow, you grow through it, you grow from it, and you couldn't grow that way if you didn't have that difficulty. So so all of it is is like invaluable. It's invaluable. You you can't, that's like a pop song back in the day, right? You know, the only way out is through. <laughs> the only way out is through. You you have to go through the suffering. That's when we can find your way out. So it's not only valuable, but it's invaluable. You can't do without it. And it's and it's always meaningful if you use it in the right way. If it's only meaningless if you if you just try to like ignore it, pretend it's not there, you know, and like yep. cover it. But if you if you're willing to like like really just experience it. And, and, and inquire as to what is the cause of it and really look at it and you learn from it, um, then it's worthwhile. So if you're gonna suffer, at least, hey, make it worthwhile, you know? I mean, like no point suffering for nothing. It's just completely like, I don't know, it's like, it's, it just seems like, you know, in a capitalist sense, right? It's like no bang for your buck, right? I mean, if you're gonna suffer anyway, learn from it do something that would be useful from it and it's and it's not like you can force yourself to learn but if you pose the right questions you will right if you if you if you just ask the right questions about it what 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 led to this um you know what caused it and how can how can i change certain ways of behaving or reacting to things if you ask these kinds of questions or how how am i looking at the situation that is causing me difficulty how can I change if I look at it these are questions that will be they will be um they will reward you they'll be rewarding answers if you pose these questions and you keep with with sincerity you know like with a real sense of of, of a deep hunger to know and if if you um if you do that you you will grow from your suffering there's just no way you wouldn't and then then that and even though it's 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 still unpleasant but you're less afraid of it. You're less, um, you have less like, like a tendency to just push it away because you see that this stuff is like totally what I need to learn. I need this. And it's, um, yeah, it can feel unpleasant, but I'll put up with the unpleasant because I, I want to learn. 
And if if I don't experience it, I'm never going to learn. So I'm going to face it. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to experience it. And um, there's just no other way. So if you realize that, you're you're much more willing. <laughs> you're much more willing because mm. the 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 other <laughs> alternative is far worse. It means it keeps coming back, right? And it keeps coming back sometimes worse than before because you haven't you haven't been willing to learn from it. So that's what that's another way to just think about karma. It's it's not about some like something mystical, some weird force in the universe. But it's, I feel like one way I like to look at it is just you keep getting the lessons you need to learn. And until you pass the test, you keep getting the same lessons because it's like, you still need to learn this kid. You haven't figured it out yet. So that you, you'll notice throughout your life, you have some eerily similar situations that come up. You know, that the name of the person will change, but it's like the particular things that bug you, they'll keep, you'll keep, having them bug you in a different person, a different time, different place. But it's it's actually actually the same exercise if you look at it, you know, clearly and you, you take away the details. If you, you look at the fundamental exercise there, it's, it's like, oh, I think I've had this one before multiple times. Obviously I haven't figured it out yet. So rather than just resenting that like, oh, again, again, why does this keep happening to me? It's like, it's cause duh, you haven't figured it out yet. Mm. And that, and that, that'll make you humble because <laughs> it's like, okay, I still, I'm working on this same problem. I'm still in grade three again, you know, but it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's okay, you know, because we all learn at different speeds and you can't, there's, there's no button you can press to like speed it up. Um, but as long as you're learning, as long as you're willing to learn, there's no going back, you know, there's no true regression. So as long as you keep up that, that willingness to learn from whatever life, you know, brings you, then, then there's, there's, there's no, you're always profiting. You're always profiting. There's no, there's no like going into the, into the red, as they say about accounting, right? Mm -hmm. You're always going to gain the gain side. And, um, and that's, that's something that, you know, it takes, it takes time, it takes time. And so, you know, 10 years is nothing. A lifetime is nothing. It takes like capital T time. So, so to be willing to be in grade three for, for a while, you know, it's, it's okay. Because each time around, you may not feel like it, but each time around, you are, you are getting a little bit better at, you know, mastering this lesson. You, you are learning a thing or two. And as the saying goes, I think like 97, I don't know, I'm making it up what the percentage is, but like, 90% of education is repetition. You keep repeating the same lesson. You keep working at it, keep working at it. And you know, the light bulb, it's slowly, slowly, it just it gets brighter. You start to, you start to understand it. And then you can move on to the next one. <laughs> the next package of suffering will <laughs> be a different one. But yeah, so, so that's how, you know, I, I, like, I like the idea of education. I really, that's something that, um, you know, as much as I say, oh, ho-hum, oh, college, you know, it didn't really, didn't really, you know, solve things for me or whatever. But actually, um, one thing I do appreciate is, is instilling in people love of learning, you know, this, this sense of um, just our capacity to, to train ourselves, to educate ourselves. There's something very uplifting about that, that idea that the human mind is 
something that can be educated. It can be trained. Ignorance is something that is not a terminal illness. It's something that, you know, you can actually learn and learn and learn until the ignorance is obliterated. There is, there is a way out and it comes through studying, you know, not, not from the books, but, um, well, you know, partly, you know, books, but, um, but really studying the human condition, studying the mind, and that comes through the practice as well. But the idea of it being a training, I mean, in a way you could call it the path, but it can also be called the training. So in Buddhist language, it's called the Eightfold Path, the Noble Eightfold Path. But another way to build it is called gradual training. So it's a path on which you train gradually. <laughs> but, um, but, but the thing is, there's, it's just so, yeah, it's, uh, it's filled with, with some sense of hope, like you said, use the word hope. Um, and the human capacity to, to train, to train your educatable people. And that is something that is, uh, yeah, that's very affirming. And, and then, um, and then there, nothing is ever, it's not a death sentence, right? It's something that there's a, there's an opening there. And then it's, it can be fun, right? If you love to learn, it's fun. It's fun to learn. Even if you learn about your own, like, you know, whatever it is that you find, it's like, oh my goodness. This is not pretty, but you learn about it. At some level, you're happy to learn about it. And mm -hmm. if you're happy to learn about it, then it's easier to face it. It's, it doesn't become this, oy vey, you know, I'm such a terrible person. But no, it's like, okay, I'm happy to learn about this aspect of the human mind. It's intriguing. <laughs> Even our darkest corners are sort of mesmerizing, aren't they? They're, they're, they're intriguing. And until we can understand it, um, yeah, we, we won't know the way out. But it's it's fun, isn't it fun? Isn't it, it fun is. to like solve something, to learn about something, to like know it from its very depth inside out? There's something so fun about it. So in a way, it, not in like some sadistic way, but you know, or masochistic way, but suffering can be kind of fun in that sense. It's 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 kind of yeah, it's just it's just so intriguing. <laughs> so. Yes, yes, yeah. it's almost like using our suffering as learning right as as once you recognize that we don't suffer for no reason we suffer we yeah we don't suffer for no reason then there is some kind of i guess like we said before purpose like if you realize that it's every it's all just to learn and to grow um there is something i don't know if comforting is the right word but there is something that brings me to some kind of peace I guess even though I'm no it's like peace knowing that I'm not at peace or not going to be at peace but I think once you come to the conclusion that you're you are going to suffer or you are going to not yeah. be at forever then that weirdly brings you mm. to some kind of sense of peace yeah sure I mean that's that's acceptance isn't acceptance, it yes. acceptance yes acceptance is is like it's 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 I, I think someone said it's like contentment is the sort of wisdom so acceptance is sort of the same thing it's a sort of wisdom it's something that um that's why seeing things as they really are that's how that leads to the end of our suffering it's because it allows us to accept it we're, and then we're not fighting it right we're not fighting it even at the most 
subtle subconscious level, we're not fighting anymore when we accept that everything is insecure, everything is impermanent, and everything is oh, the most chilling of all, it's out of our control. When, when you accept that, uh, there, there's an ease about the whole thing. Mm. And until you get to the point where you're completely at ease, it's what you're talking about. You're still at ease with the fact that you're gonna experience some ill at ease. You're at peace with not being at peace because deep down there, you know it's gonna lead to ultimate peace. There, at the end of the day, there's still a happy ending, you know, but, um, <laughs> but you're, you're willing to put up with all the, the bumps on the road because you know that they're inescapable. And also that, yeah, that's how you learn. So even, even at your most, you know, think of time when you were really very miserable. But if you had those glimmers of those moments when you were like, but I know this is, this is gonna lead me to some kind of peace, true peace, then, then actually it becomes more bearable. So, so knowing that helps a lot. And, and um, if you can reflect back on your life and you can see uh, those times of, of you know troubled seas how that actually how that actually led to some some peace on when you get to the other side when you're going through it it feels awful but when you've gotten to the other side and you're like oh actually like you feel you just feel stronger or wiser or something then then you see that it was it was because you had gone through that and so the next time it happens you're more willing you know, you're more at ease with it, you're more accepting of it because you see its benefits. And so, so that's, that's it, being at peace and not being at peace, you know? And that's, that's easier said than done, but it is, it is doable. And, it, and also not to set up your spiritual practice with that goal in mind that you will feel so-called peaceful all the time you know, as you're doing it until you get to the, the really ultimate other side when you really are at peace all the time, capital P peace, you know, there will be times when you ain't peaceful and that means you're actually learning. <laughs> so, so then that's, that's, that's all right. And so um, being able to, to, to allow space for that, you know, to conceive of the path as being like that, and and taking the larger view of it, it makes it makes all those rocky patches less of a big deal. I mean, I mean, I know I'm I'm certainly one to like microanalyze. So at the time, you're like, oh wait, what's going on? What's wrong? This that whatever. But actually, if you if you like, you know, you just like simmer down and like don't worry about it too much and give it another six months or whatever. And yeah, and you're like, oh, okay, it was more like a blip. It was more like a blip. It wasn't like some major, <laughs> like some, something's really gone wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it's a blip, it's a blip. And then, and then you're gonna have that. You're gonna have that. It's gonna be, it's like the stock market, right? Like when you look at the, the graph going up, it's not like, it's not linear. It's like jagged, it's jagged, but there, there is a trend going up. So as long as you're on your spiritual path, you see, you see a trend of greater freedom, then you're on the right track. And, and the little dips and the little jagged edges as well, you know, that's par for the course. And at the time, it don't feel good. And at the time, you can't tell if it's just a little dip or is it going to be a big dip? Oh, no. But keep the faith, keep the faith, keep going, keep going. And time will tell. Mm. And, uh, and, and allow yourself a lot of time. And don't even think about the time so much, you know. And we're so imprisoned by that concept. Imprisoned by that concept of, like, you know, fiscal year or whatever, you know. It's all, it's all like, in these, like, discrete units of time in which you're supposed to be able to measure something but yeah imagine throwing that cost about the window you know and then how much freer you would be and how much more ease you'll be on your path 
you're not constantly trying to measure up to some concept of time that you have. And um, yeah, that's all, that's all the play of the ego. It wants to measure, it wants to control, and it wants to assess um, your spiritual practice, my spiritual practice, my progress, etc. But mm. ah, again, wrong paradigm. We're always, we're always barking up the wrong tree. I don't know why. Grade three, still at grade three. But you know, that's that's just the nature of. So, but the more and the more you can like see through that, you know, then then yeah, then then it becomes it becomes less fraught and more enjoyable. And um, yeah, but always coming back, coming back to that sense of of willing to learn from anything and grateful to learn from anything. Mm. And, um, and then if, if, if you have that sense of appreciation for the, for the dips in life, you know, if at some level you do appreciate it, like you have some really obnoxious relative, but at some level you still appreciate it that there's a relative, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's the same with, with yeah, the, the, the valleys of life, you know, at some level you still appreciate it and, and, and actually are grateful for that, that part that's difficult because that's what's going to stretch you. And, um, and, you know, it, it has to happen to you because we often are not going to engineer our own suffering. <laughs> we don't have to, it'll come to you, but when it comes to you, no, you don't you don't have to slam the door at its face you know i mean like ideally you'd be able to say welcome and all that but of course it's harder to do in practice but um but yeah to the degree you 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 can okay like leave the door open ajar at least leave the door ajar for, for the lessons of life um to come in and to work on them and um yeah it's it's that's why it's something that gosh, this is something I can never get bored of. Like anything else in my life, I've always gotten bored of it after a while. You know, like, you know how it is anytime you've mastered something, mm -hmm. like you know how to do that thing at your job already. And then you're like, oh, you need a new job because this, this one's getting boring or something you're learning at school. Okay, you learned it already. Uh, give me the next lesson. We, we, we're constantly getting bored with stuff. Uh, but if you're working on something really difficult, it's really hard to understand, boy, at the very least, you're not going to get bored because <laughs> you're like, I still don't get it. Okay. So you keep, you know, you're like, you're engaged, right? Because you're like, wow, this is like constantly like challenging me. It's constantly challenging me. So yep, uh, the game uh, of life. That's right. That's right. Um, but only if you're inquiring at a deeper level. Yeah. Then, then it's challenging. And, um, and if, if you, if you feel like you're constantly learning, then, then that, that, that already brings you some level of happiness, even with the tough stuff. There's a sense of like, there's something there, that there's a spark there where you're learning. Then there, there is like, there's a gleam in your eye about it. There, there's still something where you're, you're, you're happy to have that suffering, you know, mm. so. It is, yeah. it is weirdly, it's weird to think about that because I think most people that, for me, when I started off, I, I saw Buddhism as almost like nihilistic and in, in a uh, like it was like almost pessimistic. Right. Like life is suffering. Oh. Always temporary. Like what? That's that sounds daunting. It's like it sounds yeah. like something that I would not want to be involved in. But when you after what we just talked about, it actually is an optimistic view. It's like, no, this is the, these sufferings that are not of our own accord that are, are going to happen to you. It's just it's just the truth. Uh, it's actually for you. 
It's actually for you to yeah. learn to grow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's like custom tailored, exactly yeah. what you need, you know? <laughs> only if you know that you need it though, right? It's only the first step is, is becoming aware. Yeah, and that's the yeah. hardest step. But I think once you, once you become aware in that first step of learning, like that first enlightening experience, I think is probably the hardest and the most important. But once you open the door, I like to say, you can't close it. Like once you know what it's about, like why we suffer, what, you know, kind of it gives you a sort of a direction, like a sort of like, Mm -hmm. uh just like a, a, a dawning of like oh this is why like ah but but that's just like then you realize like oh now i have to do the work like now that i know all of this it's like oh okay this is just the beginning this is just the start and the start is becoming aware yeah well it's it, that's what gets you on the path yeah. you know when you, when you when you realize there is a problem <laughs> mayday maybe there is a problem mm -hmm. and uh and the the solution ain't coming from your usual your usual strategies mm. uh the solution is coming from a different taking a different path and that gets you on the path mm -hmm. but then you got to walk the path and you're right it's work it is uh, work mm -hmm. yeah but uh but it can be you know you can enjoy your work you know mm -hmm. right the trick is to remember how to enjoy the work even when the work is tough um, mm -hmm. to remember to enjoy it and that that's that's something that is in itself a practice to, to always find a, a, an angle at which you can enjoy it and then then the path no matter how long it is you don't mind so much because you actually enjoy it but um i like that idea of um when you know when you said that it, it it's like at least you know there's a way out you know like, yes, you know, oh, great, now I realize we're suffering. Uh, okay, now I have to do all this work. But you know, the work actually leads to, to ending the problem. It actually solves the problem ultimately. Knowing that, uh, then it's, it's not pessimistic. It's totally optimistic. It's like, yeah, you have a major problem, but there is a solution. <laughs> exactly. Guaranteed, guaranteed. No, like, no exclusions. Everybody has the solution available to them. No one is disqualified. And everyone has the innate ability to, to arrive at that solution. They keep at it. I mean, how affirming is that? It's like, that, that to me is like total security because it's like everyone is able to do this. No one is excluded. And it's assured if, if you follow the path correctly and you keep at it, you don't, you know, you don't like take a detour and like give up halfway through, then you're gonna arrive at the destination. And so, every hard lesson you're given, you know, if you look at it, it's, it's like, actually, it's, it's, it's a kind act, you know, uh, there's, there's a quote I really like from John Updike. He said, you know, I believe we live in a kindly universe. And I like that idea of it being a kindly universe. I mean, not, not talking in terms of Dhamma, whatever, it's, it's a kindly universe. And it's sending lessons that will help you. These are lessons that do not always feel good, but they are there to help you. They're there to help you learn. They're there to help you master the lesson. And it's exactly what you need. I mean, you know, there's all this like technology now that tries to guess what people, you know, oh, you, you looked at this website or you, 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 you know, you clicked on that. That means you like this. And they, they start having ad advertisement that's like tailored for you. And you're like, oh my God, this is creepy. But actually this is the universe is better better than any any kind of like you know internet technology it knows what you need to learn 
and it is kindly going to keep handing it to you, you know, at regular intervals. Until you learn. <laughs> Until you learn. But I mean, how great is that? Like someone has totally custom tailored exactly what I need. Like to think of it as a kind act. This is exactly the kind of suffering I need. I mean, it's not your suffering. This is suffering for moi. This is, you know, tailor-made for moi. Like how, how nice is that? You know, how caring of the universe to send this to me. I mean, if, it's so hard to think of it that way when you're, you're in the thick of it, you know? But if, if you do have that view, then, then it can almost be a, a, a manifestation of the kindliness of the universe. And if you think, think of living in a universe like that, it's, it's, so, much, it's so much more, um, I guess, encouraging, <laughs> you know, than all of your, your suffering or pain is, is actually, it's, it's viewed from that prism of, of kindness then it's it's a yeah it's a different it's a different different experience of it but it's so hard to stay connected to that view because the immediacy of our suffering sometimes is so great so it takes that ability to distance yourself like you mentioned earlier the ability to mentally distance yourself from whatever is the immediate experience of discomfort or pain to not get bogged down in it to not get drowned in it you know to not just be swept away and that's where meditation is key. It's like you have to train the mind to be able to, to distance itself from that immediate experience enough to see that it's just an experience that is happening right now and is not going to happen forever. And you watch it morph. You can just, it's amazing, you know? Like uh, anytime you feel really distressed, it, it, it only lasts because you didn't, you didn't stop to look at it. <laughs> and so you keep feeding it with more thoughts. But if you actually are able to like train your mind, yeah, I'm not talking about major enlightenment experience, but you know, just be able to train your mind to the level where you're able to not feed the suffering with more stories about it. To drop the story, stop thinking about it and just feel the experience of it in your body and watch that. And you can see that it takes very little time for it to morph. It's like, it's like a, it's like, you know, weather fronts. It's like clouds moving. If you ever watch a cloud, you see how it, it just keeps, it, it's never still. It's like constantly shifting, even subtly, even on a still day. It's like constantly shifting. And our emotions are like that. Our distress is like that. So our suffering is like that. It's like shifting, shifting, shifting constantly. And when you, when you watch that, then, then it's, uh, you know, then it, 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 it becomes less paralyzing because you're not you're not just lost in it. You're actually watching it, and it gives you a distance, and it gives you the the, the learning that this is impermanent and it's temporary and it's shifting and it's not going to be there forever. Mm -hmm. So don't be so afraid of it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's uh, then it's again it becomes in a weird way mesmerizing. It's just kind of beautiful to watch in a way in some strange way, it may sound strange, but if you just try doing it, you'll feel like that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so, so this is all something that can be developed and trained. Again, mind can be trained to do that. And the more it does that, the more it'll learn, the more it learns, the wiser it'll be, the wiser it'll be, the more it's gonna finally crack the code, you know, <laughs> the crack the code. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh... I don't really know what else to say after that. That's um I think we can probably wrap it up at that one. I mean 
it, it all lies in self-inquiry. I think we can probably sum up this whole thing is it lies in just, you know, it takes disconnect from the world a little bit and our phones and find some quiet time and see what's going on inside of your mind. I mean, where would you, where would you recommend people start this entire process? How can somebody, you know, you don't have to strap on the robes and go join a, Sangha, how can a lay person start this whole process? Yeah, well, carve out a corner for that silence and solitude. Make it a priority in your life. You know, people say they don't have the time, but you'll always find time for something you find important. Mm -hmm. And you can manage to brush your teeth every day. You know, that's just teeth. Uh, surely, surely you can devote some time to your mind and its upkeep and its health. And so, um, yeah, it's, I, I know, I know myself that it took me years to be able to develop, you know, a daily meditation practice when I was, when I was a lay person, because even though at some level I thought, oh, this is good for me, it's important, blah, blah, blah. But other things seemed more important, you know, when I was at school, like doing the schoolwork was more important or at work, you know, finishing your whatever work assignment was more important. But um, but it was only after I really experienced the benefit of it, you know, when I when I went on a it was only a 10 day meditation retreat. But it was after that um, retreat when I really experienced some some of the peace that comes from some silence in the mind and you're able to experience that. And it's like it's just too precious that you, you, you just don't want to see it just ebb away that I was like, OK. And every day I manage at least an hour, at least an hour, you know. Um, and uh, it's only when I actually had a profound, under, not profound, but, you know, some some deeper sense of the, the value of it that you're able to stick to it because it was worth it. And so until you get to that point, you, you, you kind of have to talk yourself into it and use a bit of like, just, just give it a fair shot. You know, if, if you're not anything else, like just, just give it a Tell yourself, I have to give it a fair shot. Before I can assess the value of something, I have to at least do it regularly for a period of time. And so to give yourself a fair deal. And, um, and then when you start to appreciate it, it becomes easier to do. But in the beginning, set your goals small. So it's achievable. So you're not just like New Year's resolutions. And then like one week later, you're like off the wagon and you feel kind of crappy about yourself. No, it's not like I'm going to meditate for half an hour every day. It's like, uh, I'm going to like do like, five minutes <laughs> at a time that is like more achievable. So if you're not a morning person, don't try to set yourself to do it like first thing in the morning. If you're, you know, find a time that you think you could actually manage to do it and then just do it. And just being able to stick with it five minutes a day, day in, day out, whether you feel like it or not, that is already, you know, a big achievement. So don't, don't, don't sell yourself short, you know, like give yourself some encouragement when you're able to just, you know, sit down in a quiet, and it's helpful if you find a part of your home that is not devoted to anything else, you know, as much as you can. I know some people just live in an apartment or whatever, whether, but at least a corner of, the, of the, the room or something that you set aside for that is zone so that, you know, like even psychologically when you enter that place, that it's a place of quiet. And, um, and you just see what happens, you know, and it will build up over time. But the the only advice is start. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> more sophisticated than that. Just start. You know, don't wait for a good time. There is never going to be a good time that is ideal. The best time is now. So 
So just start, start tomorrow, start today, just start. Give right now, a shot. after this podcast, shut off. Yeah, I mean, heck, so. it's only whatever time it is, 7.30, 8.30, whatever in the morning there. Yeah, I mean, eight, yeah, it's eight another day. yeah, I don't know what time you normally get up, but it's, yeah, it's, it's only five minutes, come on. And so if you, if you kind of can talk yourself into it, but not in a, not in a bullying way, like don't bully yourself into doing something that's so-called good for you. Cause it'll just, it'll just, you know, it's just back. It'll just, you know, bite you in the rear end um, if you do it that way, but do it as an act of kindness to yourself. Just think of it as an act of self-care, act of kindness and kindness to other people. But actually, if you give yourself a bit of space for, for some silence and calm, you'll be such a nicer person to be around. You know, you'll be <laughs> kindness to them people who have to deal with you so bill it as an act of kindness and then 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 you might be more motivated to do it out of out of a sense of care for yourself you know like it's um if you want your own happiness you have to take steps towards achieving it so so if, if that's actually what everyone wants you know then then try doing something that might actually help you you know in a deeper way to achieve that happiness and it's not a lot to ask and it takes nothing you don't need any equipment you know you just you just need to give yourself the gift of time so if, if you value it then you find a way and it'll 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 teach you that it, it'll be worth it no one has to tell you that so you got to find that out for yourself mm -hmm. yep it's simple it's experiential yep well do you have anything else to say that you'd uh, like to get off your chest before we wrap this thing up? Oh, get off my chest. Uh, <laughs> not, not really. um, I just, but I, I, I would, I just would like to encourage people, I guess, you know, just to, to even, to even look into it, to even inquire about a different approach to finding your happiness. You know, everyone searches for it, but just look, think a rundown of your normal strategies for, you know, achieving happiness and, and take, a, take a real honest appraisal of, of how long the happiness that results from it actually lasts and how conditional it is on external circumstances. And if it's really conditional on external circumstances, then, then you're really, you know, you're at, the, you're at the mercy of that. So you're not really, you're not really free. So, so if you can question that and then find experience, you know, try to, try to experiment with other alternative strategies, then do that. And um, life is really, it's shorter than you think. Even you live until you're 80 or 90 or 100, it goes like a flash. And knowing that that's the case, what would be most important to do today? If you knew it was your last day, what would be the most important thing to do today? And to, to keep asking yourself that because, because that's the only way you can light the fire under your bum. Cause you know, we are, we are people, we are creatures of habit and creatures of inertia. So we have to find ways to motivate ourselves with a sense of urgency. Um, and it is, it is something that we, we, we don't know how long we've got in this human life, you know, and this is the primo opportunity to be, to be able and to be working at this. So, so I would encourage people to, you know, 
take a start and uh, and to know that there's there's a lot of help and support on the path. This is not it's gonna sound very daunting, but especially now with the internet, there's just so much at your fingertips that you can you can access um, that will help you learn more and be guided on the path. Um, so this is something that, well, of course, humans are better. <laughs> Don't rely entirely on the internet. Some real life human interaction with a wiser person is, is not only helpful, it's necessary. So seek that out. But, uh, but it's possible. It's, that's the thing. It's, it's so possible. So if we have that idea that it's possible, we'll be more motivated to even try. If we feel like it's something so beyond us and unreachable, then it becomes very like, okay, maybe maybe at another time in my life, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start. But it's not hard, you know, to get started. The hardest part is to do it. <laughs> the hard part mm -hmm. is just to get started. Mm -hmm. To get started. And, uh, and just, yeah. And then as best you can, uh, frame it in terms of, of taking joy in it, you know, taking joy in, in whatever it is that you're learning from. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, that's maybe that's maybe a parting shot, but uh, <laughs> no, that was probably, great. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. It's um, you know, finding that within yourself, whatever that is, that that kind of peace and that to know that that it's like a journey that you kind of bestow upon yourself. It's something that you kind of the path, like you said, you have to find the path and then you walk the path, and that ultimately. Will make you happier in the whole process in the long term and then it'll make everybody happier you know it'll it, it, your your energy will just it'll, it'll shine on to other people and uh it'll just be like a snowball effect and ultimately that's how we create a better world so yeah i mean i don't think there's any more honorable words to say other than that that's a, it's a beautiful statement so i mean with that venerable munisara Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. Uh, this was yeah, an amazing, amazing conversation. I hope anyone listened to this whole thing. I hope somebody got some something from it. If nobody did, like I said, I mean, I got something from it. I thought it was great. This was a, an amazing opportunity for me. And uh, like I said, I, I'm grateful for you for coming on here. This was, this was amazing. I hope I didn't interrupt any, uh, anything that you got going on. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I'm happy, happy to share. So thank you for inviting me. And um, yeah, so whatever would be a benefit, great. And whatever doesn't make sense to anybody, that's fine. You know, don't <laughs> worry about it. And um, but yeah, we all have to, we all have to learn for ourselves ultimately. So so there's really nothing, um, nothing that will will change that. So so anyway, I hope I hope whoever's listening, you know, finds out the answers for themselves and then able to share that with others. So yeah, so good luck with your show and um, all the best to everybody listening. Thank you, you as well. And uh, yeah, peace. <laughs> That's right, peace, double peace. <laughs> all right, well, have a good day. <laughs>